Okay, good morning. Uh, welcome back. <clears throat> Today is Wednesday, July 6, 2022. Class 3 in this mini-series uh, entitled Enduring Tribulation to Soul Return. And today I'm going to... I want to uh, review two of the three main sources, or two, two main sources, the, Buddha, the Christian and Buddhist perspectives on patient endurance, uh, and then read a chapter from Universal Vision, chapter 38, called Think Fast, Wait. And that chapter is uh, my reflections 20 years ago, um, or 20, almost 25 years ago, of a chapter or, or the, a, a portion of the book Siddhartha from Herman Hesse, Herman Hesse, <clears throat> about his, uh, Herman Hesse's um, write-up of a fictionalized story of uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, and where that character in that book said uh, what he can do now that he's fully enlightened is think and fast and wait, and how that's associated with patient endurance, in which... Uh, one must actually um, bear with pain and um, develop stillness and quiet in the face of um, a willing acceptance of pain in real time. And that's not the same as making pain or choosing pain or staying in it when one can get out, but when one cannot get out, and we're talking about, you know, could be physical, could be emotional, could be mental, could be spiritual pain or angst. That's what needs patient endurance. That's the teaching of patient endurance in Buddhism and Christianity. Bearing with or long-suffering. And um, I want to kind of wrap up. Uh, the, the, to me, these are beautiful teachings from Luke twenty-one nineteen and Dhammapada uh, 183, 184, 185. And uh, sometimes I don't want to leave them, even though I've spoken, I've sort of mined them, um, because they're just beautiful teachings on how to accept what cannot be changed, what we don't like, or what's painful. So from Luke 21.19, the interlinear version, the original uh, uh, Greek to English the English translation here was, By the patient endurance of you, you will gain the souls of you. Or, by your patient endurance, you will gain your soul. And patient endurance is that word hippomene, which we looked into, waiting for, and steadfastness, and enduring. enduring. And that comes from the root dur, or relates to dur, which is sort of hard. So there's a certain firmness needed. <clears throat> to endure a firmness of uh, standing still or staying with it or not. Because what's, what's the opposite of patient endurance, right? Impatient intolerance. <clears throat> so uh, impatient intolerance is I can't wait. I can't maybe think or fast, but I certainly can't wait. And I cannot endure or I can't take it. Okay, well, what happens? You can't take it. I go crazy. I fall apart. I go. I get fall into rage. I fall into depression. Uh, something, something like that. 
and so not 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 falling apart but long suffering or taking it or accepting it or bearing with it is a is a matter of strength and will to a large degree i mean there's the wisdom to know it can't be changed it's best to try to accept but then there's the will to truly be with or bear it and that is of ultimately faith in oneself self-trust so the the connection between courage and self-trust between endurance or the capacity to endure and self-trust or self-faith and that's very much of second chakra or the required clearance of six of second chakra and linkage to six chakra so it's very much a six two chakra band matter the capacity for wise endurance patient endurance then <clears throat> the you will gain your souls um the word you will gain is tesaste tesaste kt how they pronounce that and that came from the greek i'm looking at a page bill mounts interesting page or site on etymology of greek <clears throat> comes from the greek original taumai kt i think it's pronounced tau tau taumai and that has these various meanings that you see in the common translation of luke 21:19 gaining such as acquiring winning purchasing possessing winning mastery over acquiring <clears throat> uh possessing your soul acquire your soul return to your soul and there's also um a definition in it, it appears seven times in the new testament it's an interesting site this bill mounts and so it occurs seven times in the new testament in acts 118 it has the sense of preserving and saving and that's not on on useful in bringing that back to luke 2119 uh by patient endurance and a wise long suffering which requires a strength and a stillness to bear the pain um one preserves one's soul one saves one's soul well i don't think you save your soul but you can save the conscious mind by preserving the linkage to soul what is soul soul is higher self soul is spirit soul is six chakra uh, related heart and six chakra <clears throat> or green blue indigo the soul is of green blue indigo while the spirit is very much of indigo uh, violet white or six chakra seven chakra spirit complex six chakra seven six seven soul is very 456 seems to me and so by wisely enduring what must be endured or is simply best to be endured what what in in cases where change cannot be made outer change or we can't get what we want or can't get rid of what we don't like uh where indeed the the best solution is patient endurance one preserves 456 chakra activation one doesn't fall down to the lower chakra blockage such as anger or depression or fear or self conflict or raging or impatience and falling apart so one doesn't one one holds one soul one preserves access to green blue to go one um 
one remains in the field of spiritual uh, awareness. One remains um, heart-centered or love-wisdom-based or spiritualized, some sense of that. One remains in the light. By patient endurance, when needed, one remains in the light. Something like that. Now, (laughs) going from that to Dhammapada, the word... Uh, the phrase in Dhammapada 184, uh, translated by several fellows, is enduring patience is the highest austerity. And I spoke about that at length. It's very nice to go back to the original Pali. Uh, the uh, phrase, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, the phrase, as I said before, kanti paramam tapo tittika, tittika. Kanti uh, as uh, related to shanti, I think, and patience, uh, forbearance. Paramam, the highest, tapo, austerity, or discipline. Uh, but tapo is totally the root or the Pali form of what in Sanskrit is tapas, which is ascetic practice. And so there's an ascetic practice of willing self-denial, uh, austerity in the uh, performance of wise forbearance and patient endurance. And that's titika as uh, enduring or staying with. And so it is an austerity. It is an ascetic practice to be still in pain. And that's the point. It's really about uh, stopping fighting. (laughs) Stopping fighting in pain when there's no other way, or it seems to be the best way, or, you know, there's always another way, right? One can smash one's head on the wall, and then that might be another way, but it's not as good a way. It, you know, what's to my long, what's to my highest and, uh, my um, highest and best good or long-term welfare and benefit? That's the Buddhist motto. What's to one's long-term welfare and benefit? Well, in some cases, it is patient endurance, kanti, titika, as the paramam tapo, or highest ascetic practice, which is a very interesting perspective. And the word is tapo. Gautama said this. Uh, <clears throat> uh, remaining still in pain, or with that which one doesn't want. It may not be a, you know, searing, cutting pain. It may just be the unpleasant, or something, something. But... It's certainly needed more than ever at this time in history when we have so little effect on the um, lemmings riding over the cliff or the uh, stream of modern culture or or civilization or humanity, the collective, uh, some portion of which is fast uh, degenerating mentally and spiritually other portions of which are just in serious mental pathology. Psychosis is much more common these days, it seems. As well as um, some people, quote, waking up or moving more into love, clarity, goodness, truth, honesty, you know, self-empowerment, collaboration with each other, cooperation, community, true community. So that's the three-way split. And so patient endurance uh, of humanity's three-way splitting <clears throat> here at the time of tribulation. 
and the nature of the tribulation itself. So, this, uh, the, these three verses from Dhammapada 183, 84, 85, are actually really useful <laughs> because as the page from tipitaka.net presents, which I discovered is actually coming from a Burmese uh, consortium, a collection of uh, some Burmese students and teachers, not <clears throat> Narada Terra, who put together another version of Dhammapada with backstory. This is this version of Dhammapada and translation with backstory is from a Burmese group, uh, who are very serious people. Meanwhile, there are three different translations of these three different verses from Access to Insight um, is uh, Acharya Buddha Rakita. Also from Insight, uh, Access to Insight is Tanasaro Bhikkhu. Also is the Bur Burmese. And <clears throat> what I would do, uh, just for the purists here, you must be a purist if you're here. You must be, a, uh, if you're not a rebel, you must be a devil, said Big Youth uh, before 1980. If you're not a rebel, you must be a devil. Don't be a devil. Uh, one doesn't have to be exactly a rebel against, uh, but a rebel against dishonesty, against folly, against <laughs> degeneration of, uh, of love. <laughs> Don't degenerate. So, verses 183, 84, 85, what I want to do um, is read each of the three translations and then break it into parts. So first, 183, verse 183, Dhammapada, Buddharakita, not to do evil, to cultivate merit, to purify one's mind, this is the teaching of the Buddhas. And again, the backstory here is that Gautama spoke these three verses to Ananda Tara or Ananda, the, the um, attendant. Um, when Ananda asked him what was the fundamental instructions to bhikkhus or monks by preceding Buddhas before his Siddhartha, Gautama of the Buddha, there were other Buddhas in history, mythical or factual, we don't know. Factual enough, I'd imagine, even though the stories may be mythical. Uh, yeah, beings who uh, show the way out of the octave come to 3D worlds regularly or appear in solar systems periodically. Yeah, and there were those before Gautama. So this, these three verses <laughs> is, are pretty serious because this is like the pith a distillate of Buddha's teachings on the worlds or to the monks or the most diehard ardent in the worlds upon within uh, to which the Buddhas arrive and come. The, in the worlds, on the worlds to which Buddhas arrive or are incarnate and arise. This is the fifth teaching of all those Buddhas on all those worlds. That's kind of serious. So, 183 from Buddharakita, not to do evil, to cultivate merit, to purify one's mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. From Tanasaro, the non-doing of any evil, the performance of what's skillful, the cleansing of one's own mind. This is the teaching of the awakened. And then from the Burmese group, not to do evil, to cultivate merit, to purify one's mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. Ah, so Buddharakita is actually to avoid all evil, to cultivate good, to cleanse one's mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. So clearly, this 
these three are the teaching of all these Buddhas that appear in worlds. So we know it's not, in my view, it's not the teaching of the awakened as a group of people who have arahant, but or arahants. This is the teaching of Buddhas, fundamental instructions who come to worlds. So avoid evil, cultivate good, cleanse your mind. So avoid evil is the non-doing of an evil, which is not to do evil. Same. So that means two of the four, you know, right efforts, samapadana, right exertions or right efforts. Uh, what is harmful, don't pick it up. What you've already picked up that's harmful, put it down or lessen it or reduce it or move away from it or detach from it. Like that. <clears throat> the second, to cultivate merit, is to do good. And it's a little different to cultivate good or the performance of what's skillful to cultivate merit. So those are the three translations of that phrase in verse 80, 183. Uh, cultivate good or cultivate merit. <laughs> They're the same. It's particularly dana. It's particularly dana and right speech. So avoiding wrong speech is not do evil. Uh, avoiding wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood is the first, not to do evil or avoiding it, non-performance. But then there's the performance of good or to cultivate merit or to cultivate good. And that's particularly dana, generosity of whatever, of money, of time, of care, of uh, attention, whatever, you know, right, uh, wise, balanced generosity. And then right speech, right action, right livelihood, where the right speech is different than that avoiding wrong speech. So avoiding wrong speech means don't fall into malicious speech, harsh speech, deceptive speech, divisive speech, untimely speech, gossip, triviality. Don't do that. Then there's cultivate right speech, which is kindly speech and timely speech and helpful speech and true speech and pleasing speech and uh, supportive speech, things like that. <clears throat> but, you know, sometimes you have to kick ass with a troublemaker. That's a different matter. But in general, and that's right speech too, <laughs> to put troublemakers in their place. It doesn't require that much effort, <clears throat> or it might, but um, uh, wise, harsh speech, <laughs> that's not malicious speech, though. But there is uh, putting troublemakers in their place. Um, but there's also letting them be and leaving them alone to stew in their own misery and uh, don't take the bait when they're trying to attack you or get into involve in some trouble. That's useful, too. So not doing evil or, let's say, avoiding wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, particularly wrong speech, wrong action. <clears throat> and then performance of what's skillful, which is generosity, particularly of this and that, and also right speech, right action, particularly right speech, actually. You know, being honest and kind and timely and helpful and supportive, <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, not... not um, uh, being balanced, you know, leading when it seems right and following when it seems right in conversation, like that. So, performance of what's skillful is kusala, and uh, cultivate good. I don't know if, <clears throat> excuse 
excuse me, the, 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 the notion of skillful, it actually wasn't. <laughs> this is from Tanisaro, the performance of what's skillful. Actually, uh, the Sanskrit doesn't have um, kusala, which is normally translated as skillful, although, and some people have a problem with that, which is reasonable. Doing what's helpful. So, cultivate merit. Tanisaro's translation is usually really excellent, but, you know, everybody has their own different differences of opinion. But to do what's helpful and good, but particularly generosity, as a core Buddha's teaching, uh, includes what's skillful. But here we're really talking about uh, cultivating goodness. And that's where the, the Burmese team put together, they said, to cultivate merit. And the and Buddha Rakita or, uh, said also to cultivate good. So cultivation of virtue is a very useful phrase or sense. And finally, cleanse, uh, to cleanse one's mind, to clean the cleansing of one's own mind. And Tanisaro put one's own mind. <laughs> There's no ownership. Isn't it, you know, my own true nature or true nature? Now, you know, should we be a stickler? I think it's okay. So, is this my own mind? It's certainly not your mind, but is it my own mind? Do I own it? Is it a possession? No. Is there a is there substantial identity? No. Is there self? No. Anatta. So, I I wouldn't want to say one's own mind, even if I you know I've written many times things that I later feel could be improved, like one's own true nature. Well, it's not really your true nature. It's not really your own true nature. It's true nature. Right? Because it's really transpersonal. <laughs> we become like, what's the true nature? Or we've dropped memory and identity. What's your own there? <laughs> what is your own when you've dropped identity or real anatta in such it? Is one's own anything? There's no owning of anything. There's no one and owning. So... I wouldn't say cleansing of one's own mind, but I say cleansing of mind. Yeah, cleanse one's mind to cleanse mind. <laughs> the cleansing of one's own mind <clears throat> and the uh, purify one's mind. It's interesting why they just didn't say purify mind. Right? That's really what the, the Buddhas would say, because it ain't your one mind. It, it seems to be my, mine, of course, my own, but actually it isn't. It's the purified mind in, involve, includes the purification of false subjectivity, of the of the you know very common <laughs> normal sense of ownership and and uh, identity. That's cleansed out too. That's that's uh, breaking the eighth fetter. So it's really purified mind, and to cleanse minds minds is not cleaning a dirty, but it is pure, or in a sense or. To in the the the, sand, the Pali word may have been purify or clean something like that, so not doing evil, cultivating good and virtue and and merit, it's really virtue. Cultivate virtue, but again, you know the original Pali may not have been that word, so I, I can't read all the Pali. Uh, performance of what's skillful or cultivate goodness and virtue, cultivation, and then cleansing or purifying mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. Then 184 from Buddharakita. Enduring patience is the highest austerity, right? So back to uh, 
kanti titika. Enduring it, patience is the highest austerity, Buddha Rakita. Nibbana is supreme, say the Buddhas. He's not a true monk who harms another, nor a true renunciate who oppresses others. I can't imagine too many monks going around harming and oppressing, but <laughs> the Sangha is open to all, as long as they follow the rules, and some end up not. From Tanisaro, patient endurance, the foremost austerity. Unbinding, the foremost, so say the awakened. He who injures another is no contemplative. He who mistreats another, no monk. So he's trying to be poetic here and put them into nice sentences, phrasings. Patient endurance, the foremost austerity, or Buddha enduring patience is the highest austerity. So we've got, again, patient endurance and foremost or highest, paramam. Paramam, you can say, is greatest, actually. Foremost, whatever. Unbinding, the foremost, paramam. <laughs> so say the awakened. It's interesting he uses... Yeah, because actually, paramam is used twice. And so, unbinding. The original Sanskrit is nibbana. <laughs> Period. Nibbanam, nibbanam paramam vadanti buddha. So, uh, nibbanam paramam vadanti buddha, it's not, you can say it's unbinding, it's nibbana, is the highest. Uh, it's actually, uh, the nibbana is the, is paramam, is the Buddha's teaching, what the Buddha say, buddha vadanti. Vedanti is the same as uh, ved or speak, uh, speak saying. Then, uh, he who injures another is no contemplative. He who mistreats another, no monk. So don't injure, don't, <laughs> don't harm. And the uh, Burmese team said the best moral practice is for is patience and forbearance. That's a really bad porn translation. <laughs> its highest austerity is perfect. Paramam tapo, perfect. I think. But they said the best moral practice. And so, okay, the best moral practice is... But you see, people translate partly because of their audience, you know? Rather than let the audience find them, they want to um, be accessible to the widest audience. Uh, I, I would rather the audience find me. Meaning, if you like what I'm doing, come on. But... Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to get the biggest audience and modify to make it easy and simple. I mean, this is already making it easy and simple as much as I can for myself, too. But we can clarify. But calling it the best moral practice, I think that's not a good translation of uh, paramam tapo, actually, because tapo is not moral practice. It's really austerity and uh, an ascetic practice. So anyway, they said the best moral practice is patience and forbearance, Nibbana, quote, Nibbana is supreme, that's Nibbanam Paramam, said the Buddhas, right. Bhikkhu does not harm others, one who harms others is not a bhikkhu, right. So, <clears throat> harm and oppression um, is uh, <laughs> wrong action, period. So don't do it. And if you do it, you are not a monk, period. You, can't, you cannot get to Nibbana while you're busy harming other people. And that's, that's the reason for renunciation or seclusion, Seclusion in body-mind. To prevent one from hurting others. Even if one doesn't want to and rarely does. Actually. I mean, maximal 
um, scrupulosity, scrupulous in non-harming. Um, we don't know when we hurt people or people get hurt. Even we, the best of intentions, people get hurt. Misunderstanding, even we try to make something perfectly clear and loving and sweet, whatever, people can get hurt. And um, to avoid that at all, to avoid, to, to scrupulously uh, prevent um, any harm to anyone, <laughs> the real bhikkhu or, or the one who's, you know, seeking the flight of an arrow or uh, the fastest path forward to attainment now uh, goes to physical mental seclusion, goes to physical seclusion and doesn't have much relationship. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, but that's, I think, where they're coming from to maximally, uh, maximal prevention of harm or prevention of, the, of any minuscule harm. Uh, so, because you can't get to Nibbana doing harm and other people being harmed, even if you're doing good, you so you believe. So, it, it's a real problem. But you can see the three translations. Um, and so, uh, patient endurance as the highest austerity, as it's critical. It's, it's not just, you know, don't do harm and cultivate good and generosity and merit and virtue and purify one's mind. That's really the whole of Buddhism right there. Purify mind. And don't do harm and cultivate good. That's it. That's that's really what Buddhism's all about. Don't do harm, cultivate good and virtue, and purify mind. That's it. And then, uh, along the way, <laughs> one must indeed um, uh, uh, practice or develop the... Uh, Paramantapo, greatest austerity of patient endurance, because there'll be things we don't like or things that are painful along the way, along the path, and then not harming others. And that that's really where 184 is coming from. It's patient endurance so as not to harm others, uh, because one won't, one is not a monk thereby or therefrom, as well as one won't attain Nibban, while harming others, and thus um, the the ardent, the, the heroes, uh, go to the uh, willingly accept the greatest austerity of patient endurance or forbearance, long suffering when needed, as needed, which just means you know be with it and um, try to be at peace in pain, in discomfort. So then, one eighty five from Buddharakita. Uh, not despising, and this is sort of detail of uh, moral moral activity and lifestyle, not despising, not harming, restraint according to the code of monastic discipline, moderation in food, dwelling in solitude, devotion to meditation, this is the teaching of the Buddhas. Then from Tanasaro, not disparaging, not injuring, restraint in line with the Patimoka, which is the monk's discipline codes, Moderation in food, dwelling in seclusion, commitment to the heightened mind. This is the teaching of the awakened. <clears throat> and then, from the Burmese team, not to revile, not to do any harm, to practice restraint according to the fundamental instructions for the bhikkhus. I'll, I'll get back to that. To be moderate in taking food, to dwell in a secluded place, to devote oneself to higher concentration. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. So we know this is the, we're talking about teaching of the Buddhas, Okay, 
we're not talking about the awakened exactly. We're talking about the Buddhas. Uh, not despising, not disparaging, not reviling. This is avoiding the wrong speech of uh, wrong speech of malicious speech. Avoiding malicious speech, which is wrong, wrong speech. Uh, not to do any harm avo- is is avoiding wrong action. Uh, restraint according to the according to monastic discipline <laughs> is patimoka, and the Burmese team translated that as fundamental instructions. And actually, that was the nature of uh, Ananda's question that started the whole ball rolling. That got the three verses. He is actually asking regarding fundamental instructions. So he's actually re- asking about Padimoka. He's actually asking about monks' discipline. So that's actually very interesting. <clears throat> it's not exactly... You see, Buddhism... I mean, the Buddha Sasana is particularly for monks. Particularly for monastics. It's, it's uh, a monastic religion first and foremost. It's a um, renunciate philosophy first and foremost and second secondarily for lay people actually seems to me while anybody can learn much and we can do well with all these teachings not being monks and nuns <clears throat> nevertheless i really think buddhism is a monastic teaching and for bhikkhus and so what gave rise to the three verses is a question regarding patimoka meaning monastic discipline codes which the translator which the burmese here translated as fundamental instructions. So the teaching of the Buddhas regarding the teaching to monks, but they're very applicable for us too. And so, not to do wrong action, not to do wrong speech. <laughs> Practice restraint according to Patimoka, or Panchashila, or the, the Shila, Adi Shila. Then, be moderate in taking food. Everybody wrote that. <laughs> moderation in food, moderation in food. Uh, dwelling in solitude, uh, dwelling in seclusion, um, dwelling in a secluded place. <laughs> I don't, I can't read the Pali, so I'm not sure if it's seclusion or solitude or a secluded place. But it's pretty much uh, similar. Seclusion, solitude, sol, sol, yeah, solus. What does that sound like? Oh, sounds like sun, sol, the sun. Latin root sol, so yeah, I think that the solitude actually comes etymologically. I, I can't look at it right now, but I believe it comes from the Latin sol, which means sun, s u n, meaning the logos. Oh ho! So solitude is resonant with the logos. Aha! Uh-huh. And that that and relationality is not relationship is not. It doesn't mean they can't one can't be you know fully enlightened um, in communication with somebody or relationship but the way of solitude is the way of the sun (laughs) s-u-n and s-o-n the one you know the son of the father the logos as the focalizing of intelligent infinity right from the one infinite creator or intelligent infinity the focalizing of love light is called the logos or the word which is manifest as much as possible in the sun which is the sun god which is ra which is the law of one which is sol and so solus solitude solitude solace is the way of the logos and so seclusion and solitude is is um resonant with return to the logos or 
the uh, spiritualizing of uh, of the total self, you know, my body, spirit, and all that. So the uh, that that's uh, very useful. <laughs> you can one one can hear the logos better. It's more easily heard. Let's just say one can more easily or not easy but readily. <laughs> it's certainly easier or more readily done to um, be um, open to logos or be logoically inspired um, in solitude and seclusion. But that doesn't mean one should. <laughs> that just means it's uh, it facilitates logoic contact, for sure. Then the final phrase was to devote oneself to higher concentration or commitment to the heightened mind or... Uh, what devotion to meditation? The the Pali is actually Aditya, and Aditya is a very important word, and it's really devotion to Aditya or um, commitment to Aditya. That's Tanisaro wrote heightened mind Adi and Chitta. <clears throat> Aditya is not meditation, although one can get to it by meditation. It's not exactly concentration either. Uh, Tanisaro hit that with heightened mind. That's not exactly it either. It's actually, I mean, everybody's got their own thing. It's its higher mind, Adi and Chitta. And the Wisdom Library definition, Adi Chitta, Pali English Dictionary, Pali Text Society, PTS, Pali English Dictionary linkage or reference here is Adi plus Chitta, higher thought, they say. <laughs> Chitta is not always thought, right? Satchit is not higher, is not sat thinking. <laughs> Reality thinking, already. That's, that's, uh, uh, Satchitananda is, uh, uh, reality thinking bliss, the, the bliss of thinking sat? I don't think so. It's, uh, awareness or mind with a capital M. Uh, reality awareness bliss, the bliss of a real, of awareness of reality. Satchit. Ananda, the bliss of satchit, or truth or reality, the real um, mindedness, real mindedness or real reality awareness, awareness of the real, of the deathless, same as Buddhism. So I wouldn't call it a higher thought, and I wouldn't call it meditation or contemplation, but it's also, it is used in combination with Adi Shila and Adi Panya, so you've got Shila, uh, Shila, Samadhi, and Prajna. So but it's interesting that those three, right? Shila, Samadhi, Prajna, Shila as discipline or morality or ethics, virtue, you know, the codes, like five, Panchi Shila. And Samadhi as concentration or calm abiding or concentrated, you know, attentiveness, particularly in meditation. And Panya or wisdom as the higher wisdom or discern, realization, insights that, that are the recognitions of awakening. Uh, there's the Adi version of the three, Adi Shila, but it's not Adi Samadhi, <laughs> it's Adi Chitta. That's very interesting. And then Adi Panya. So, but Adi Chitta is akin to Adi Samadhi. <laughs> Adi Samadhi, that's a good name if you want to do a comedy act. Just call me Adi Samadhi. Haha. <laughs> but Adi Chitta, I would say, is higher awareness or higher mind, where mind is understood as not a personal possession, but awareness or consciousness. It's not Vijnana, right? It's not Adi Vijnana. It's not Vijnana. 
consciousness. It's, it's basically awareness. I mean, I would say it's higher mind as higher, higher awareness. So, uh, higher awareness or higher mind, uh, <clears throat> devote oneself to higher mind, or a commitment to higher mind, or I guess it was the, the two of them translated as uh, devotion to. So, devote oneself to, devotion to, or commitment to, Tanasaro wrote commitment, a commitment to higher mind or to awareness, to, uh, and the word adi actually means over and above. It doesn't actually mean higher, but it implies higher. It, it's sort of the above, <laughs> on top of, over, overstanding, overstanding virtue, shila, overstanding wisdom, adipanya, overstanding um, chitta or mind or awareness. It's sort of um, that which surmounts the higher, the superior um, mind. The commitment to that. <laughs> it's, so it's the difference between uh, manas and buddhi and um, the personal, between vijnana and, and satchit. <laughs> moving towards satchit and moving out of vijnana or subjectivist mindedness. So yeah, that that's the God Thomas teaching too, <laughs> and that's what goes to Adipanya or the the greater or higher wisdom discernment realizations um, of essential truths of Sat. This is the teaching of the Buddhists. So okay, that <laughs> so there you could just see that patient endurance is um, one of many essential qualities. So if you want to regain or resonate with or return to soul. Patient endurance is essential sometimes. But Buddhism is aiming at a higher goal than return to your soul or save your soul or possess your soul or gain your soul or return re, return to soul or something. It's actually to go out of all reincarnation. So it's a big difference, actually. Then, okay, let's see what the time is. This will not be a 30-minute class, obviously. 42.25. So let me um, now read from Universal Vision, chapter 38. And I'm not sure how much commentary I'll do on it, but let me read it through. This is akin to higher uh, or, or an understanding of patient endurance. So chapter 38, book Universal Vision, written by me. A title, chapter called Think Fast, Wait. In Siddhartha, the classic novel by Hermann Hesse, the wizened Siddhartha Gautama, who through his own efforts became the Indian Buddha, the founder of all Buddhist schools, is asked point-blank just what he can do now that he is, quote, enlightened. In later Buddhist literature, in particular the records of Chinese and Japanese Zen, several masters were also asked about their attainment. In those later times, in the relatively straightforward cultures of China and Japan, the teachers often replied in most ordinary ways. Now I can drink tea and eat rice. Now I can chop wood and carry water. Or something like that. But in Siddhartha, which is actually a German-Indic crossbreed, a fictional account of what life might have been, might have been like in ancient India, it's a lovely book, the Buddha, or Siddhartha actually, explains his enlightenment a bit differently. While his answer is actually Hermann Hesse's version of what he thinks about enlightenment, it still bears repeating. 
it seems that old Mr. Hesse was relatively enlightened himself. For some reason, I have never forgotten this passage from the book, and I hope I've got it right, even though I last read it in high school about 20 years ago. Now, about 45 years ago. So this was written about 25 years ago. For some reason, it recently came back to me, and I think it's appropriate to consider now that we're nearing the end of our study of Buddhism and the principles of spiritual growth. It is a fine description of the goal. In Siddhartha, the book, when the Buddha, or Siddhartha, is asked what he can do now that he is free, enlightened, he simply replies, I can think, I can fast, and I can wait. It's a simple answer, but not as simple as it seems, nor is it too easy to attain. How many, how many of us can think clearly, logically, and accurately? How often can we even think through a problem to a useful solution? And for that matter, how well can we wait? And how patient are we for the things we want? Like oceans and seas, the depth of this achievement is not seen by a quick glance at the surface. Upon closer inspection, the Buddha's reply is actually quite esoteric. In previous chapters of Universal Vision, we've looked at some of the principles of transformation, or in other words, the ways and means of healing, balance, and enlightenment. Central to that discussion is knowing and working with the body-mind-spirit system, which is the manifest self and the elements of our personal identity in everyday life. There's no achievement if we neglect to deal with personal stuff, that which arises for us, and usually for us alone, moment to moment. Siddhartha's achievement, as conveyed by the perceptive Hermann Hesse, is one way of describing the completed work on body, mind, and spirit the perfection of human soul. This perfection is indeed the state of Buddha, full awakening to our own true nature. So you see, I wrote that too. <laughs> our own, mine. Full awakening to true nature. Revised. The Sanskrit root Buddha means, quote, to awaken or perceive. This perception of the real, Sat, can only come with full purification and thereby full control of mind-body-spirit system However, this is not the control achieved through self-domination, a mistaken path taken by many, many spiritual seekers, but rather the, quote, control that comes through full self-mastery. In this condition, there's no longer any obstruction to the pure use of will, capital W. There's no longer any fiction in personality, nor conflict within or between mind and body, nor a speck of self, nor a speck of non-knowing of the source of what we are or the source of what I is. Full perception of our true being is full awakening, and can only grow after all forms of ignorance and self-deception have ended. Inner friction, personal conflicts, and spiritual non-knowing are just various forms of confused self-awareness. I repeat, inner friction, personal conflicts, and spiritual non-knowing are just forms of various or various forms of confused self-awareness. Let's consider each of the Buddha's three achievements one by one. To be able to really think is no less than complete mastery of mind, full and free use of reason, analysis, and thought. Of course, there are also spiritual powers of mind that perhaps Mr. Hesse, Mr. Hesse did not know of, and at superhuman levels of being, something as bulky as a thought form is actually not much needed. When Ra refers to the Council of Saturn, considered to be the administrative center of our solar system, 
staffed by beings who we can fairly consider to be cosmic Buddhas, they remark that choices are made by the immediate perfect blending of their consciousness and only, quote, when a need for thought is present, do they resort to thinking at all. I am sure that the historical Buddha also did not need to think too much. Living in unity, the answers are immediately available. As the culmination of the evolutionary law of seeking, as Jesus said, seek and you shall find, eventually there is no gap, no gap between such call and response, meaning trying to, wanting to understand something and having the understanding. At this stage of the path, meaning at the end, one seeks beyond seeking. Nevertheless, returning to the experience of us mere mortals, there's no doubt that intellect is one of the most powerful tools in the human anatomy. Only through discernment, reflection, and analysis can we figure out that there's a spiritual path at all. Once we know we are on the way, capital W, the Tao, we must depend on reason to navigate the course. The real Buddha, not Hesse's creation, once said that his teachings are like a raft to help us get to the other side of the ocean of birth and death, to the achievement of nirvana or enlightenment. Likewise, Ra said that in working on body-mind-spirit, the work on mind is primary. It is the element of self most generally and also most greatly distorted at this time, meaning mind. We should never, under, none, never underestimate the value of reason and clear thinking, powers often held in low esteem by current naive New Age teachers and channels. And though mind itself is but a raft, you had better develop a strong mind or it may sink you. Anyway, just a moment. Anyway, since the development of mind is actually the growth of wisdom, it primarily occurs in fifth density worlds and is usually just begun on 3D orbs such as ours. So there's no need to hurry on the cosmic path. The second achievement of Hesse's Buddha, I can fast, is no less than full mastery of body, body or it can be understood this way. To be able to physically fast, abstaining from solid and even liquid food, represents a degree of freedom from dependence on the material world, the four elements, and the, quote, lower kingdoms. Almost all mystic religions and native traditions include ritual fasting as one of their practices. And while it can be taken to extremes, such as in one sect of, quote, sky-clad or naked Indian Jains, who starved to death after taking vows of harmlessness, Ahimsa, fasting is an important training for both body and mind. While historical Buddhism does not include fasting practices, the monks of Buddha's time ate only before noon, and many, even today, eat only once a day. This does not mean we should blindly follow their example, since times have changed and the modern lifestyle is different, but still, dissolving attachment to physical desires is an essential part of the path, on earth, that is. Again, in higher dimensions, things are much different, since both the bodies we use, as well as the basic awareness of self and path, are much more refined. So that was a discussion of fasting, which could go much deeper, but I didn't know it then. Finally, Hesse's Buddha said he could wait. While this ability is actually, I think, a summation of many lesser powers and self-purifications, the power to wait is basically the achievement of spirit what is otherwise called contact with higher self. It's also the development and activation of six chakra, so-called third eye or brow chakra, which confers the powers of faith, forgiveness,
peace, and realization of unity, among other powers. As in silent, formless meditation, at the sixth chakra, we open the spirit shuttle gateway to seventh or crown center, in Ra's description, and at last we sense the perfumed scent of higher self. In this activation, we also realize that, quote, all is complete and whole and perfect, from the law of one, and thus we can wait, since everything is just fine as it is. In this realization, we have a true return to source, surrender to Tao, or the nameless way of all life, fusion with true self, which is inner peace and intrinsic contentment, not tied to 3D conditions, this peace, and quiet opening to all life, all beings, all things. The Buddha can wait because he has no more desire for anything other than what is always here. The, this ultimately confers universal presence. Yes, we become light. So I would say the Buddha can wait, or Siddhartha could wait, which is patient endurance, because desires don't arise. <laughs> that's beyond taking the pain or bearing with the pain, long-suffering. That, that's, you know, a much higher level. Like Nichinanda, when his arm was burned, or rag, gas-soaked rag burning, didn't take the pain. He didn't feel the pain. <laughs> he transferred the sensation to the, to the perpetrator. Uh, likewise, Buddha got a, Gautama got a thorn in the toe. Did he feel pain? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. So, was he patiently enduring while the while it healed? Yeah, I guess so. But the the awareness of the of the finished is really much different than ours because we're not finished. So we, in some ways, cultivate the learning of kanti uh, titika or patient endurance or hupomene. Um, as portion of our self-development on the path. For the those that are finished, they may do the same, and they are with what they must be with, but they're finished with the path. And so it's not the same experiences we have. But in the end, <clears throat> uh, fast waiting really um, is best performed <laughs> when uh, for one who's uh, greatly free from desire. Finally, last two paragraphs. In Siddhartha's great achievement of the ability to think fast and wait, we can see the practical results of massive spiritual exertion. As we continue our own slow work of greater self-knowing and more self-acceptance, we too move in this direction. The more we use our mind to think, our body to fast, and our spirit to wait, the more enlightened we become. Despite the cycles of birth and death, and despite the approaching earth harvest and closing 3D theater, our work with body, mind, spirit continues on. And that's the last chapter, the last paragraph that's relevant because the next talks about the next chapter. So, think fast, wait. Uh, as uh, achievements um, associated with patient endurance and the, the ability to uh, be patient and bear what we cannot change, bear the pain or discomfort or dukkha or stress uh, that we feel that we can't change. Now, much of or some some of the pain and discomfort uh, dukkha that we bear or feel we must bear or come to wisely realize we must bear because we can't change it or get rid of it, some of it's actually attributed, meaning we've we, we've. It, we, we've um, 
we label, we consider it um, stressful. Is it stressful? Is the object of perception, whatever we're perceiving and experiencing and thinking about that we feel is stressful, is it stressful? Is it dukkha? Is it pain? Or 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 um, is it bad? Or are we making it bad? Both, <laughs> possibly, sometimes. So there's the jackhammer. I um, clearly it's um, uh, jangling sound. It's a it's not harmonious euphonious sound. Clearly, it has electromagnetic effect. Uh, on the physical, on the bones. Clearly, <clears throat> that's more disruptive and disturbing and um, disordering than, you know, listening to the wind gently blow through the forest. Okay. So, is it bad? No. Is it disruptive, disturbing, uh, electromagnetically, physically, auditory, sound-wise, to the body, to the bones, to the being? Yeah, it is, Absolutely. But how much have I added on to the experience of it? A lot. <laughs> All sorts of narrative is normally added to that which is intrinsically um, upsetting, disturbing, painful, unpleasurable, you know, troubling. There is, you lose a loved one, that's a real loss of love and uh, happiness. Uh, listening to the jackhammer, living in the world of humanity as they are today, or a significant portion of humanity being evil and degenerative, degenerating mentally, and deceptive, and self-harming, and controlling and manipulative or, or tyrannical mini-petty tyrants. Yeah, living with that is different than living in heaven or living where we're from, for wanderers. Yeah, this is earth, not heaven. And yeah, this is their density, not home. Yeah, for wanderers, yep, yep, yep. And that is intrinsically more distorted than where we're from. To what extent, however, is our experience uh, layered in with unnecessary um, mental narrative that makes a bad thing worse or makes a distortion that amplifies the uh, experience of a, of a genuine distortion? Hmm. That's a very important matter. Some portion of that, need, we need to fast from that, too, and abstain from, depending on uh, uh, narrative, depending on our habitual reaction narrative to real distortion. There's real disturbance and real distortion and real conflictuality or strife and violence and dukkha of phenomena physically, socially, interpersonally, uh, dimensionally, metaphysically. But then we add on. That add-on is completely superfluous, unnecessary. It's normal. We do well do it. But it's not necessary. So one can be, as I come to say or think, one could be tied to the train tracks in the tunnel, uh, in the darkness, with the thunderous white light train head approaching and everything's shaking and rattling and you know <laughs> what's coming is uh, the death 
it is a, a violent death. One could be there with no fear. I'm not saying I'm, I'm that way, but I, uh, I know it's possible. One could be within that without fear. Without fear. With one could be as calm as the as one's body could be, just like Nityananda felt no pain with a burning arm. I'm not saying I'm there, but it's possible, and that should not be underestimated. The the this is the value of not dumbing down teaching, and remembering um, Buddha is possible. Is we see that we can that greater development is possible, not. We're comforted by somebody talking our own distortion language, distorted lower view. So yeah, it's possible to be in the tunnel with the thunderous train approaching, and there's no, you know, no cavalry, and um, be without fear. Totally possible. Likewise, it's possible to have great loss without depressive grief. I'm not saying one should be that way. It's just possible for those that are really free. Likewise, uh, it's possible to to endure or to be with um, very intrinsically disturbing, dissonant, discordant, in other words starting with D, phenomena, death, destruction, doom, depression, discouragement, damnation, all sorts of things that start with D that are unpleasant. And, and not have um, an excessive narrative in the mind that makes it worse that makes our experience of it worse. And that's another portion of fasting. Fasting from unnecessary thinking. <laughs> fasting from uh, unnecessary add-ons that actually are harmful to us, to ourselves. But there's also fasting from fantasy. Meaning, uh, fasting from the, the attachment to false, comforting opinions. If they're false... You know, it's nice that they're comforting, but if they're false, they're going to fall. The false always falls. And you're going to get hurt when you've been, it's called disillusionment. The shock, who could have seen it? Uh, the shock of, of finally seeing a truth one had long avoided and denied. That ain't, that ain't wise and that ain't happy. So, uh, these are other understandings of, of fasting that I think are useful. In any case, that'll be it for today. And next time, we'll see. Um, I hope it was useful. And take good care of yourselves. See you next time. And good night.